0: You're listening to a sermon preached at University Presbyterian Church in Seattle, Washington. For more information, please visit our website, UPC.org. My name is George Himmend. Forgive me for not introducing myself earlier. If you're visiting, I want to add my welcome to that, that which you've already received from Andy. It's good to be together as we worship this morning. I wanted to show you a book this morning. Um, this book is called uh, Royce's Sailing Illustrated. And this is a book that I've owned, I think, just about longer than any other book that I have retained. I may have been in the hospital, if my memory serves correctly, when this was given to me as a little uh, boy. And uh, uh, I wonder if any of you know this book. Does has any of see Royce's Sailing Illustrated? Uh, it's kind of dog-eared. I see some of you smiling. Um, this book, this is the sixth edition and it's all about sailing it's got uh, it's made by an artist it has little illustrations cartoons which you can't see inside it's a lot of fun to read it's very visual um i brought this today because it's always tickled me it says uh, it's the sailor's bible since 1956 and uh, i it's sort of funny cuz i'm not sure what sailors did before 1956 <laughs> or what they're doing now that it's out of print uh but it makes me wonder in what sense is this a bible Royce's Sailing Illustrated. Well, it, it, perhaps because it's so informative. There's lots of information here about points of sail and how to do CPR and how to lay a sea anchor. Uh, it's complete. It claims to tell us everything about the different boats that there are in the world, at least at that time, from Hobie to Aquarius to Finisterre, it tells us. Also, it's uh, authoritative. It's authoritative. It contains in it both the laws of of nature, as sailors have experienced them, on the high sea, and also uh, the maritime codes, uh, U.S. Coastal Guard uh, regulations, and others. I I, I suppose it's considered a Bible because the claim would be that you can't really sail fully uh, without it. And uh, now that I think about the fact that this has been out of print for years, it makes me think there are some similarities, perhaps, between this and the real Bible insofar as many of us uh, are very interested in the Bible these days. Uh, we have 4.4 Bibles for every American household, but we don't typically read it, do we? The, uh, we're now in, in, a, in a... The world has changed. I guess I'd say there's a sea change since 1956, uh, not just for sailors, but for all of us in our culture. We no longer go to books primarily for information. Uh, when we think about what's, what it means for something to claim to be complete... Well, what was true even just 20 years ago to us seems not true or likely to be true today or not relevant. We're very interested in that which is new and change is coming so fast, nothing can really be complete. And then ask for something that claims to be authoritative, where we're very suspicious of authority in our culture uh, today. We really don't look for uh, what we might call Bibles in our life. But this morning I want to ask you to to reflect just briefly on what it is that we might be missing by not actually reading more frequently, more regularly, the real Bible. If it's true that in some sense you can't fully sail without Royce's Sailing Illustrated, I wonder if it might be true that in some sense we can't fully live without God's Word and the Bible. Romans, in uh, chapter 15, tells us, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us, speaking of the Bible, so that through endurance and the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Our mission here at UPC is to share hope in Jesus Christ. Therefore, we very much need God's primary instrument to generate endurance and hope in our lives. And Paul is telling you there, it's the Bible, the scriptures. That's why it was written, so that you could have hope. One of the greatest uh, teachers of the 20th century, William Lyon Phelps, former president of Yale University, is once known as the most beloved of all professors. He knew a lot about what was worth reading. He was a professor of English literature. But he said, I thoroughly believe in a university education for both men and women, but I believe a knowledge of the Bible without a college course is more valuable than a college course without the Bible. The Bible is critical. There was a sign on, on an old uh, church marquee that said uh, a Bible, oh gosh, I don't think I wrote this down, a Bible that's uh, worn out usually indicates the owner has a life that isn't worn out. Somehow, in some sense that when we dog ear the scriptures, when we spend time with it, it refreshes, it refurbishes, it renews us, and it gives us hope. What I want to suggest to you this morning is that you can learn about sailing from a book but you only become a sailor in a boat. My thesis this morning is that the Bible is a book that puts you in a boat with Jesus, puts wind in your sail, and sets you on a course. Some of my earliest memories are are of being in a boat. I really think, I really think my earliest memories are boat m- memories because my father uh, is a sailor, and when I was just a toddler, he used to take me out sailing on San Francisco Bay, racing uh, Saturday mornings. I think he did this because he wanted to be there, and he brought me not because he thought I would enjoy it, but because he wanted to relieve my mother of having to spend the day uh, with me. And uh, it was no small gift to her if you knew me as a toddler. Uh, but for me, I didn't enjoy it. I actually found it terrifying. Uh, what my dad would do is he put a life jacket on me that was way too large for my little frame. He'd strap it across the chest, and then he would tie me, lash me to the high side of the boat. And when it was time to come about, he would throw the tiller to the side. He would grab me by one hand and cast me onto the new high side, lash me down, straighten out the tiller, and I would rise up over this black water. And what was terrifying, I don't know if you've sailed on the San Francisco Bay, but there's, you know, the, the mouth of the bay is, under the Golden Gate is constantly sucking all the water out of the bay. And I, I thought, I'm going to be lost to the Pacific Ocean. And the waves were high, and the men were shouting at one another, and the, the lines were whipping like snakes around the deck, and the, the, the sails were Pounding and luffing, and there were these guys on another boat that kept shooting a cannon from time to time, and I didn't know what, what that was all about. So no doubt, I, I have this memory fixed in my mind because it was so traumatic. But this is how I grew up. It, it maybe explains a lot to you. Man, uh, my therapy is, going, is, is, is working nicely, but um, I have a lot to overcome. Thanks, Dad. But he's, he's actually listening on the radio right now. This is going to save me a phone call. Um, <laughs> but you see, you become a sailor in a boat. I mean, you can sit in a hospital room, you can read about sailing, but you become a sailor in the boat. My suggestion is that perhaps we're not reading the Bible as much or as fruitfully as we might be reading it because we don't understand fundamentally what the Bible is. We're treating it just as a book when it's an invitation to get in the boat. What is the Bible? I mean, so many of us, have, uh, though we admire the Bible and we respect its teaching, keep it kind of at an arm's length because, frankly, we're a little bit frightened of what we're going to find in there. There's scary stuff in there. You know, there's violence in there. And, and there's, we're thinking maybe there's some things in there that don't agree with my views of God. And I, I don't really want to be exposed to that. We're, we're thinking there are things in there that are socially regressive. We have this general assumption that, you know, we've kind of gotten past some things. And, and, they, and they accepted those in Bible times. And we don't accept them in modern times. And so how helpful could the Bible really be? But I want to suggest we're missing out on hope when we don't pay attention to this instrument that God has given us as a great means of grace. So this summer, we're going to engage in some reading. We're going to read the Bible together and we're going to understand the whole story of the Bible as Andy shared with us. The, the sermon series is 15 parts, by the way. Uh, it's called Inspired. This is a big, it's a great story. It's a grand narrative that we have in the Scripture. We're going to look at the different movements, 14 different movements in the story, because we want to have hope. We want to be able to share hope. Uh, we're going to begin today with this fundamental question of what is the Bible, and uh, the Bible uh, in several places speaks to us about its own nature, and we're going to look to probably the most important of all of those, these passages which is found in 2 Timothy chapter 3. So if you brought a Bible, or if you could grab one in the pew rack in front of you, why don't you open up to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 through 17. And you're going to find this on page 967 of the the Pew Bible. 2 Timothy chapter 3, uh, verses 14 through 17. If you're able, would you stand with me? Let's read God's Word aloud and, and show reverence for its author as we do. Listen carefully. You're reading the Word of the Lord. But as for you continue in what you have learned and firmly believed knowing from what you learned from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus All scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching for reproof for correction and for training in righteousness so that Everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. This is the word of the Lord. Heaven and earth will pass away, but what you just read never will. Please be seated. You may know that 2 Timothy is the last letter to our knowledge that the Apostle Paul wrote. He's writing to his protege, Timothy, because... Paul knows his life is coming to an end. In fact, the, the leadership of the apostles is coming to an end. They're imprisoned or will be executed or exiled soon. And the apostle Paul knows how critical it is now to pass the baton of leadership to the next generation. And, and so as he does so to his protege, Timothy, he wants Timothy to know how critical it is to stay close to the scriptures wants to impress upon him the essence of the Bible. And he here gives a description of what the Bible is and why it's so important. And there are three things that I think a sailor would certainly understand. The wind, our captain, and an adventure. I'd like to suggest to you, first of all, that the Bible is a book that lays us before the wind. This speaks of the power of God at work through the Scriptures. Did you catch this in verse 16? All Scripture is inspired... By God inspired by God in, in the Greek language in which Paul originally wrote this is one word it's a compound word of the word for God and breathed some of your translations might say it's God breathe the Bible as though it's it's actually the exhale the, the words of Scripture actually the exhale of God and this is a remarkable claim about the origin of the Bible. Because we know the Bible was written by human beings, and it was. And we know that the Bible is written by people who lived in certain historical contexts, and they had their own ideas and their own limitations and their own thoughts and biases. And, 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 and yet here, the, the, the apostle claims that the Bible is God-breathed, that behind these human authors, there is a divine intent that its real origin doesn't begin with the humans, but before the origin, before the, the uh, agency of the humans, there is God. There's your God moving them to write what they write. Now, how could this be? This is a re- remarkable claim. We speak of the Bible. By the way, do you know that the word Bible simply means book? It just means book. That's why we have to say Holy Bible if we want to distinguish it from other books. But there are, it really should have been libraries, what we should call it, because there are 66 books in the Bible, 39 books in the Old Testament, 27 books in the New Testament. And these 66 books were written over a period of more than 1,500 years by more than 40 authors um, uh, on three continents in three languages. These authors came from all different walks of lives. They were politicians and peasants, they were shepherds and musicians, and all kinds of different perspectives. And the remarkable thing is they all speak with one voice. There is a unity of message throughout the diversity of of means, which does indeed suggest that God himself is behind this narrative. And, And this is the claim that Apostle Paul says it. The, the word for breathe, uh, breath, in the, both Hebrew and Greek, is the same word for wind or spirit. Paul's saying to Timothy, when you read this book, you're laying yourself before the, the wind of God, the Spirit of God. The ancient wind who moved these authors will move your life when you read. It's the power of the Scripture. Jesus himself says, man is not lived by bread alone, but by every word. Uh, that God speaks and he is speaking today he's using his word the holy spirit is bringing to life this dry, dry otherwise dry dusty uh print that comes from an ancient foreign era but it becomes critical for us it's the power of, of the wind miles davis will blow his horn through many different instruments but it's always his wind The Apostle Paul, uh, Peter, rather, uh, gives us a little bit of a picture of how this might look. This is Peter's idea. Anyways, he says, first of all, you must understand this. No prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came by human will. But men and women, moved by the Holy Spirit, spoke from God. This is this book that you have in your hands. It's It's an amazing claim, isn't it? Recently, I've um, found myself struggling with a lot of anxiety in my life as as a parent. We joke about being parents of teenagers, but it's been a challenge for us. And I woke up recently, just overwhelmed with anxiety, and wondering how is it going to work out? How's the story going to end for our kids? Is it going to be? Okay? Are they going to be okay? And I found, as I opened up the Bible, Psalm forty six. The Lord says, "Be still and know that I am God." And all of a sudden there's a peace that comes into my life when I realize there is a God, and I don't have to be that God. And that God is God for me, and that God is God for my children, and he's blowing in my life to give me peace right now, and he's blowing in their lives to guide them to where he wants them to be. And God's wind is active then in that very moment for me. So the Bible is a book that lays us before the wind or the Spirit of God. It's a wild and mysterious wind, and we don't understand it. We don't see how it's moving. It swirls and eddies. We see its effects in people's lives, but we don't really know uh, all of uh, how to sort it out or to understand all of the Scripture, but we do know where it comes from, and we do know its power. Second thing I want to suggest to you, that the Bible is a book that holds us to our captain. Do you hear the Apostle Paul making this point? In verse 15, he gives us the purpose for Scripture. And the purpose of Scripture is an encounter with a person. See what he says. Um, You know how from childhood, Timothy, you've known the sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. this wind is blowing through these authors from the very beginning of time, blowing them to anticipate the Savior, Jesus Christ. He's the center of Scripture. And as you read this, as you have read this since your childhood, Timothy, this wind has been blowing you into relationship with Jesus Christ, to know who he is, to hear him speaking very personally into your life. At every moment, he's your captain. He's in the boat with you. You are not alone. I got a letter from a friend of mine, uh, it was a former uh, teammate in ministry to students in Boston. And he said, he told a story about a uh, young student who came from Iran uh, to a Midwestern college. And this, st- this student came seeking Christian fellowship uh, the first day of school, wanted to know where the Christians were. And he was desperate to know anything he could learn about Jesus Christ. And they were startled by this. He was Iranian, he was Muslim. When he said, well, back in Iran, a Christian had given him a Bible, and he said, this book will save your life. Didn't quite know what to make of it, began to read the book, got curious about who this person Jesus is. One day, he got caught in crossfire, and he had to escape on his motorcycle as quickly as he can. When he got home, opened up his backpack, he found he had been shot four times. There were four bullets lodged in the, in the Bible in his backpack. And those words came back to his mind, this book will save your life. And in that case, it was like the book that saved his life. But you know what? He knew it wasn't the book that saved his life. It was the person. And he wanted to know who is this person. It spooked him. I remember those stories of my father and a sable, not so much because they were terrifying to me, but because in the midst of life's terrors, there was one who loved me. It was that relationship with my father and and the fact that I I would grow up in relationship to him and I'd know him and love him my whole life because he loved me. And Paul's saying something similar happens when you're in the boat with Jesus and you're reading this Bible with Jesus. I remember saying to my dad, dad, it's going to tip over. And he says, it's not going to tip over, son. This thing has a huge weight on the bottom. It's called a keel. And actually, as we tip, it seems terrifying, but what it's doing is it's driving the boat forward, actually. This is making us faster, it's getting us closer to the goal. The very thing that scares you is a really good thing. And you need a person in your life to work through that kind of fear. And the Scriptures invites us to that. I remember when I was on a backpack trip with students, a student myself, some of the young boys around the campfire were talking about prayer and they were talking about the pain in a friend's life and how God had worked in that. And I did not understand that at all because I knew that Noah and Abraham had, like, they talked with God. But I had no idea that a contemporary person, uh, a contemporary of my own, could interact with God in any personal way. So I pulled the guide aside and I asked him every question I, I, I thought, you know, my little 14-year-old brain could, have, could, could have conjure up. Uh, and he was the first person I ever remember meeting who, before answering the question, would say, George, let's open this book. And he'd flip and he knew he'd find a page and he'd read something. And I thought, oh my gosh, that answers my question. And I thought, this is spooky. Because I knew enough to know that that book was very old. It was about 2,000 years old. And here's a book that God can use to speak directly to me today. And more and more the conversation was less and less about my questions and answers and more about this person behind the book. Who is Jesus? And it was that day that that guide guided me into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. He loves you, he told me. There's a story in the New Testament of the resurrection that as Jesus walked away from Jerusalem, he came upon two travelers on the road to Emmaus. and They didn't recognize Jesus. He was risen from the dead and they were despondent because they thought he'd just been crucified and that that was the end of the story. And Jesus went through the Bible, we read, with them. All the scriptures, the law and the prophets. Couldn't you see that they're all about me? And I think we have that text in the Bible to show us that when you sit down in the evening before you go to bed and you open up your Bible or that little devotional guide and you read God's word, you're in the same situation that they are. You can't see Jesus. You don't recognize him there with your eyes. But he wants you to know, I'm there beside you. And I can make your heart burn as their hearts burned. Burned. Uh, as he explained the scriptures uh, to them. Jesus, when you read the Bible, will always lead you through the dusty trails of the narratives. He will always draw you to the foot of the cross and invite you there to leave your sin and brokenness behind. He'll take you around to the empty tomb, lead you into joy and peace, triumph of that moment in your life. And he'll lead you across the waves, walking with the Holy Spirit, Trampling them down. The Bible is a book that lays us before the wind, and the wind will blow us into a relationship with our captain, Jesus Christ. Finally, I want you to see that the Bible is a book that equips us for adventure. Notice here that there's a a perspective. We've seen the power, we've seen the person, and now there's a, a perspective that Scripture gives us on our life. It sets a course for adventure. Verse 16, the second half, says all Scripture is useful because it's inspired by God. It's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. There's an adventure. You've got good work ahead of you. And the Bible is your chart and compass to reorient you to that work, to give you a new perspective. This is, speaks of the effect of Scripture in our lives. I came across recently a New Yorker cartoon and it showed a, uh, a woman in a bookstore and the clerk at the store said to her, Oh, the Bible? You'll find that in the self help section. <laughs> and I think actually that's true today, is, is it not? I mean, but what, how? No, I would say no, not the self. This is the God help section. And that's what makes this book so vital and vibrant for our lives. God wants to help us. And, you know, sailing is dangerous. You see this just three weeks ago uh, in the in America's Cup? One of the sailors died, got trapped. And these boats now that they're racing the America's Cup, they're 72 feet long. They raise the sailors three stories over that dark water in San Francisco Bay. And they travel up to 45 miles an hour. It is dangerous. They wear uh, body suits, helmets, and they're trailed by, uh, by uh, rescue boats with physicians and scuba divers. And you know enough of life to know that life is dangerous too. Is it not? There are riptides, there are ferry boats, there's driftwood, uh, there are gales, there are doldrums. Moments of high anxiety and, and great boredom and waiting and solitude. And in the midst of this, the Apostle Paul says... It's okay. Don't get out of the boat. Don't step onto the land. God's got an adventure for you, and he's going to equip you for all of those circumstances. And he uses these four words, which is very quickly. Teaching and reproof have to do with what we think. Teaching is giving us positive ideas. Reproof is disabusing of some of the negative ones. Correction and training and righteousness have to do with how we act. Correction says, you know, you're out of line. Uh, Your life is off course. Training and righteousness, here is the course. And it allows, us, it allows us to have the kind of character within us that leads us forward in the way that God wants. Someone says, don't tell God about the waves, but tell the waves about your God. And it's when you read the Bible that you know who it is who's in the boat with you. How is it that the Bible, with this collection of stories that oftentimes seem so different and difficult, could speak to us today? What's well, the paradigms in those stories that we're to apply to our lives today because really we're in the same story. We're part of the story. And so we're to walk on water in some sense as Peter does or, or to cross the sea in some sense as Moses does or to, to be at the well with a Samaritan woman thirsty and longing for drink or with Mary in the midst of crisis as Jesus changes water to wine. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10 11, These things happened to them, speaking of the Old Testament, these things happened to them to serve as an example, and they were written down to instruct us, on whom the ends of the ages has come. You are in the story, the Apostle Paul says. Let God equip you for the task. Recently I was talking with a friend who'd gone through a tragic loss, a long-term tragic loss. And as we were talking, what came to my mind was the Scripture. Joel 2.25. I said, you know, friend, for you, this verse comes to mind. This is my prayer for you. The Lord said in Joel 2.25, I will restore to you the years that the locust has eaten. And that word, as I believe God gave it to me, to share with that person was an invitation to that person to know that somehow by God's grace, even though he'd been a victim, uh, there was going to be a new future. There would be a new, fresh adventure for that person. And this is what people around us need. They don't need us to say, hey, buck up. They need the truth. They need God's word, a word of grace, a word of hope. The Bible is a book that puts you in a boat with Jesus, puts wind in your sail, and sets you on a course for adventure. It's inspired. I know that's a remarkable claim, and I know we struggle to believe it. If you read the biography of Billy Graham, you know this was the greatest struggle for him in terms of his own faith. He had a crisis of faith one day. When a friend of his said, Billy, you're 50 years out of date. People no longer accept the Bible as being inspired the way you do. Your faith is too simple. And he wrestled with that for weeks. On the eve of the Los Angeles Crusade, which is when he kind of, his breakout moment, here's what he writes. He says, I went for a walk in the moonlight forest. I knelt down with my Bible on a tree stump in front of me and began praying. I don't recall my exact words, but my prayer went something like this. Oh, Lord, there are many things in this book I don't understand. There are many problems in it for which I have no solution, but Father, by faith, I am going to accept this as thy word. From this moment on, I'm going to trust the Bible as the word of God. And then Billy Graham says, when I got up from my knees, I sensed God's presence in a way that I hadn't for months. Not all of my questions were answered, but I knew a major spiritual battle had been fought and won. I never doubted the Bible's divine inspiration again, and immediately my preaching took on new confidence. This was, I believe, one reason why our Los Angeles meetings had to be extended from three weeks to eight. If you don't yet believe that the Bible is the Word of God, that's okay. What I want to do, do though, is encourage you to read. Give it a chance. Charles Spurgeon was once asked how you defend the Bible, and his reply was simple, the same way you defend a lion. You just turn it loose. I want to invite you this summer uh, to read with me the Bible. If you're new to reading the Bible, how about starting with the Gospel of John? Uh, or others, you may want to begin with Genesis or Philippians or Mark or Ruth. But I'm going to give you a moment just as a, after I close in prayer and ask you to think and pray and say, God, how will I engage with your word this summer? How will, I, will I memorize it? Will I, will I read parts? What, what will it be like? Um, so in a moment, think and pray about that. But let me close by reading to you Four little prayers that are written by Haitians in the mountains of Haiti and translated, collected by Eleanor Turnbull, a missionary to Haiti. Pray with me, would you? Our great physician, your word is like alcohol. When poured on an infected wound, it burns and stings. But only then can it kill germs. If it doesn't burn, it doesn't do any good. Father, we are all hungry baby birds this morning. Our heart mouths are gaping wide, waiting for you to fill us. Spirit, a cold wind seems to have chilled us. Wrap us in the blanket of your word and warm us up. Lord, we find your word like cabbage. As we pull down the leaves, we get closer to the heart. And as we get closer to the heart, it is sweeter. Amen.